can see this with everyone that we live and work with is that mental health, spiritual health, all of those things play an integral role in people's health and health outcomes. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Co Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Each and every week, we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a lot of different backgrounds. These are community leaders, healthcare leaders, educators, language warriors, you name it. And we talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. It's always great to amplify Native voices, and we're doing so again today. How are you doing, Leah? Mm-hmm. I'm good. How are you? Great. I just got a new phone, so I got new phone vibes going. <laughs> Living in the future. <laughs> um, just feeling all fast with, with the phone. How are you doing? I, I know you, uh, you're on the verge of like a pretty, pretty big performance, so I'm just curious like how you feel. Well, it's a big stage. Yeah. Orb Bonnet is performing at the Ordway. And I am excited. I was curious if you had any, you know, rituals that you do before a live performance, you know, you know, any like habits. Well, I'm a singer, so I like to have my tea. And that's about it, because I feel like (laughs) I love doing it. And at the same time, it's just something after you do it for a couple decades (laughs) that it's like... Imagine like you're excited for your work day. You get up, you have your coffee, make sure you look right, and you're out the door. I feel like that's kind of similar to performing. Whereas me, I just got to make sure that I don't have to pee during the performance. So. Yeah. <laughs> just go to the bathroom quick before the performance, you know. You gotta uh, I get dry mouth, actually, if I get nervous. Uh, yeah, I get a little shaky every now and then, you know, the... The jitters a little bit, but you you power through it, and it's always fun. Are you ready for Halloween? Oh, yes. I'm actually playing a really, really cool, scary game right now. Have, did you see that Minecraft galaxy that somebody made? And they, like, recreated the universe. I feel like Marvin would do that. <laughs> <laughs> what he tries to do in Minecraft is make places where he can watch TV and play more video games in <laughs> Minecraft. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like The Office where he, he makes yes. a version of himself in the video game and he does the same stuff? <laughs> Good stuff. Yes, Realized. that's exactly it. Well, our guest today is an incredible human being, as they all are. Tammy Livermont is a citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation, and she just received the 2022 Morris K. Udall and John S. McCain III Native American Graduate Fellowship in Tribal Policy. It's a mouthful, but it's it's a job well done. She's pursuing her MD at the University of Minnesota Medical School at the Duluth campus, and is just really into tribal policy and... Um, Making a Difference in Healthcare Policy for Native People. Let's get chatting with Tammy Livermont. Hi. Bonjour. 
Hello, relatives. I'm Tammy Livermont. I'm a citizen of the Ogallala Lakota Nation. I am currently located in Duluth, uh, Minnesota at the medical school here. I'm a second year. I'm originally from southwestern South Dakota. My hometown is Martin, which is right off of my home reservation, the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. We saw your press release about being a recipient of the 2022 Morris K. Udall and John S. McCain III Native American Graduate Fellowship. And that is awarded to graduate students pursuing advanced degrees in healthcare fields and have a commitment to Native healthcare. So congratulations on the fellowship. And can yeah, you tell congrats. us a bit about it? I see there's quite a significant application pro- process. So it's a proper fellowship. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty extensive application. I took, along with med school, it was one of those things that I was staying up until like one o'clock in the morning oh. to um, write my essays. Um so it's a fellowship that was created by the Udall Foundation, which was originally established by Congress um, in honor of two um, Congress people from the state of Arizona who kind of dedicated their political careers to forwarding tribal public policy, Native American health care, as well as environmental um, law and policy And so this organization has had a scholarship program for undergraduate students, as well as a congressional fellowship, both of which I participated in prior to getting this fellowship. Um, And those are really to support students who are interested in those three areas of study. And then the um, congressional fellowship is so that you can go to D.C. and have an opportunity to work on policy kind of on the ground. And so this fellowship is kind of an extension of that commitment and carrying out the work of Morris Udall, who worked closely with John McCain on Native American health care policy. They were in, they had integral roles in working on the Indian Health Care Improvement Act, um, which really reaffirmed the Snyder Act and the government's commitment to providing health care to our communities. So Um, Yeah, this fellowship is really awarded to students who are or individuals from Indian country who have committed their career to really supporting that mission and forwarding it. Great. So thank you for mentioning the Snyder Act, because I was going to ask you a little bit about that. And I saw in your bio that a big interest of yours is defending treaty obligations, specifically around those healthcare provisions. Can you give us a bit of background on this and why are you interested in it? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I always realized that healthcare in our communities was lacking and that it wasn't what it should be. It always seemed to have deficiencies, but I didn't understand why. You know, as a kid, you just you just don't understand, but it, you know that things aren't right. Um, But I always heard people talk about treaty obligations and what that meant for our people. And then I got to college and I actually started college just studying medicine and through the Udall Foundation was introduced to policy. And so through that, I picked up another major in Native Studies. So I took a lot of like federal Indian policy classes. And through learning more about policy, you know, really came this 
revelation of like, we have treaty obligations to healthcare and the things that we see are the IHS is a result of that obligation, but it was never actually implemented in a way that was supposed to meet the needs of our communities. It was to check off a box of like, oh, we have this obligation. Now we have to provide health care. And so um, I did a policy fellowship with the National Indian Health Board and learned about policy as a tool to up, uphold and defend those treaty obligations. And I think that just through the course of the experiences that I've had and also awareness with the current state of our healthcare systems, but also those obligations, tribal sovereignty, and some of these historical policies that have been passed in order to uphold those and carry out those obligations, I've really just committed my, my work to doing that. And medicine and being a clinician doesn't totally directly fit into my policy work. But bottom line is our ancestors signed treaties because they essentially had to, but with the intent of having competent, quality, accessible health care that met the needs of our communities provided to us. And while there are this, things like the Snyder Act, the Indian Healthcare Improvement Act, there's still work to be done to ensure that those treaty obligations are actually being carried out in the way that our ancestors envisioned it when they signed those treaties. And so that's what I'm trying to do with this work. Great. And at the same time, so there's the policy side with the federal government. There's also self-determination of healthcare for tribes themselves. And um, I see mentioned that that's also an interest. Do you have any inspirational examples or thoughts about what self-determination looks like for tribes specifically in healthcare? Absolutely. I um, When I went to college and doing some of these different fellowships and things, I had the opportunity to travel. And it's actually funny because going through undergrad before I really knew what self-determination looked like on the ground when it came to healthcare, I was always like, we should run, like, why are the, why is the federal government running our clinic? How do they know what we need? Mm -hmm. And then I was able to travel to Oklahoma specifically. And Oklahoma has many larger tribes or wealthier tribes that have made far and long strides in um, self-determination of healthcare. So like the Cherokee Nation has this immaculate, beautiful new hospital that has native art everywhere in it. And I was like, this is what we, like, why don't we have this? And then I learned about self-determination and 638 contracts. But I would say my one like premium example is the South Central Foundation in Alaska. And I learned about the South Central Foundation actually through my role at the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board before starting med school because they recently contracted what was formerly the Sioux San Health Clinic in Rapid City that was federally run. Um, and now it's the Oyate Health Center and it's contracted on behalf of the three large tribes. So Oglala, Rosebud, and Cheyenne River Sioux tribes. And this clinic is using the South Central Foundation's model, which is known as the NUCA model, 
um, to provide care to the relatives that we see in that clinic there. And it's about your entire healthcare team surrounding the patient or the relative, as we refer to individuals in our health system. But it's about being patient-centered, and it's not about a patient coming in or a relative coming in and saying, oh, I have blood pressure. Let's deal with that today. A relative comes in, and they're surrounded by an entire team of healthcare providers that includes elders, that includes traditional healers, medicine men, everybody who who should and is part of the healthcare team is part of that team and they're seen by all of those providers that they need. So it's really a model centered around holistic medicine and not just Western medical um, structures of like trying to heal people's physical state. And so the South Central Foundation has data about dropping hospitalizations and improving all sorts of health outcomes, all because they've built a health system around the needs of their community and not around this Western model of medicine that isn't really meant to like serve our people. It was never meant to serve our people. So that's my one prime example. And I look to South Central Foundation all the time when I talk about self-determination of healthcare. Do you think the Western healthcare system is meant to take care of everybody, like in general anyway? Absolutely. I'm in medical school right now, and I'm constantly criticizing the Western medical system because it is so built around a model of health that doesn't actually achieve full health. It's it's so focused on just the physical state of being when we know not only indigenous people know this, but like you can see this with everyone that we live and work with is that mental health, spiritual health, all of those things play an integral role in people's health and health outcomes. So the Western medical structure, I think, can be is is a part of the puzzle, right? Like if you have hypertension and you need a medic medication, or if you have diabetes and you need insulin, there's a role for it, but it's not the fix. And I think because Western medicine sees itself as like this premier way of dealing with health and oftentimes doesn't allow for incorporation of our ways of being and knowing, it tends to neglect people's, um, the other parts of people's health that are so important. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Tammy Livermont, citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation. She's pursuing her medical degree at the University of Minnesota Medical School, Duluth campus. She recently received the 2022 Morris K. Udall and John S. McCain, the third Native American Graduate Fellowship in Tribal Policy. So I would like to talk a little bit about that intersection then of holding the government responsibility around treaty obligations and healthcare provisions. So holding them responsible for that and at the same time supporting the self-determination of tribes with their own healthcare. Can you talk a little bit about how those two meet and what that would what that would look like? 
Yeah, so this is a really interesting topic. And I think being part of um, the space at home actually kind of brought me to this because when I was studying, I was like, self-determination is given. Like, why isn't everyone doing this? But there are parts of that policy that are so important to understand. And we talk about this all the time is, you know, at what point people will argue that self-determination may at some point let the federal government know that they got off. Or like, once you take over your healthcare, then where does the responsibility lie? It lies in you. But the reality of self-determination when it comes to healthcare or generally is these policies were written to give tribes control of their systems while the federal government still provides revenue. And I always say it's not one or the other. Like I argue for self-determination because I know and we know that we can best care for our people. We know what that looks like. We know what we need. We have relatives who are part of the community every day that can help inform that. No person that's sitting in IHS every day is going to be able to have that type of information that is going to... that are going to be able to inform our health our healthcare and our services the way that will best meet the needs of the community but on the other like we can't just do that we have to continue to advocate for policy and have to be in DC putting pressure on the federal government to uphold those obligations and as i see it right now those obligations have never been upheld in full like IHS still continues to be chronically underfunded and tribes who are taking over their contracts have to be very um, creative about how they increase their revenue to increase the services that they're able to provide to their community. So I don't think that it's, I think it's all intertwined. And while we're doing while we are pursuing self-determination within our communities, at the same time in parallel, we have to continue to advocate for policy at the federal level to uphold those obligations because that funding that we're receiving from D.C. to provide that care is vital and important. We need increases on it, too, so we can't stop at just taking over, taking over the contracts. We have to keep trying to increase the funding. So it's almost kind of like, you know, land back, but like health back. Yeah. And I think land back is like such a interesting topic to bring up because our way of healing is also dependent on like the land that we exist on, right? And our resources. So it's not just about being able to go to the clinic, but it's about like having our traditional medicines accessible that we can learn to go harvest. And like that is medicine, being able to go out and harvest medicines or whatever that be, have water. Water is medicine. Like all of these things are intertwined and not, yeah, they're not outside of one another. It's just the Western way of being and knowing like is so different, but yeah, it's all, it's all interconnected and it's all trying to like get back to where we were pre-colonization which I would love to get there but we we do the best that we can within the structures and systems that we have and that's like using the federal government's resources 
to implement programs that are informed by our communities and are are grounded in our ways of knowing. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Tammy Livermont, citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation. She's pursuing her medical degree at the University of Minnesota Medical School, Duluth Campus. She recently received the 2022 Morris K. Udall and John S. McCain III Native American Graduate Fellowship in Tribal Policy. So, Tammy, what does an indigenized medical education system and medical system, because not it's not separate, <laughs> everything's connected, what, do, what does that system look like to you? It really looks like, to me, whatever the community and elders see as important. So, when it comes to medical education, it's not just about drugs and physical states of being. But it's a culture of holistic health and wellness that sees people as humans and not as like just a standardized patient with zero complexities. I think that's what an indigenous medical education structure looks like is it's hard to put it into words, but it's community based. It's relationship based. It's not based on transactions of coming in one time just to get your medications. Um, And then I think when it comes to a healthcare structure, it's the same thing, but it's grounded in an entire way of being and knowing. It's not just about your physical state. It's about harvesting traditional medicines and using that as ceremony to heal. It's about being able to go to an anipi like we do in my community and pray and find healing in that way. For other people, it might be having classes to learn the language. Like all of these things should be encompassed in a health system for our communities because it's not just about the physical state of being. It's about healing our spirits because that's one of the things that has been lost. And that is something that many people are longing for. And so providing access to all of that within a health system, which is different, but that's what that's what I envision it looking like. But it's going to look different to every community as well, because we all are so different. It's obviously, it's very important for Native representation in these systems for change to happen. Could you just, you know, talk to us about how we can get more Native representation in healthcare, you know, in medicine in general? I think another complex answer, right? Because it doesn't start with, like, at any level. I We see the historical um, aspect of education and edu- the foundation of Western education in the U.S. was meant to remove who we are and just keep us as a being without a spirit. I mean, boarding schools is the foundation of that. So I think our current education system still does not do justice for um, integrating Indigenous ways of being and knowing to make Indigenous students or allow Indigenous students to be themselves. So I think it starts at a young age with education systems that support our youth even getting to a point of college to 
understand and pursue medicine. Um, it's complex. Representation, knowing a native doctor is so important to be able to even see yourself in the position of being a native doctor. Um, but there are all these systemic barriers, even if you make it to college and are like, I want to be a doctor financially within the Western education structure, like it's constantly pulling at you or trying to convince you to go down a path that isn't what you believe in. Like Western education is not rooted in who we are or what we know. So it's con it's an extra barrier that Indigenous students have to face in pursuing being a doctor. But I think it starts from a young age in improving education and then also representation and ensuring that kids can see themselves getting to that point. Um, and I think my goal is to have a Native med school one day because I came to med school to be a doctor to serve my people. And throughout my first year, I was working at a clinic and I was like, this is not what I went into medicine for. This is not what I went into medicine for. Every time I went to the clinic, it just felt like so disheartening to be within a system that was so restrictive of what I wanted to do. And I went back to my tribal clinic for the last experience. And on the first day, I texted my friends and I was like, I remember why I want to be a doctor. But even when you get to med school, you're constantly operating in these systems that are going against the values that brought you to medicine in the first place. And so I think building, it goes back to self-determination and building systems for our people that actually work for our communities and for our ways of being and knowing. And that's a hard, I don't know, it's difficult, but it's all of these things. It's education as a child, it's college, it's admissions to med school, and then having a med school that actually upholds Indigenous ways of knowing about health rather than this Western structure that seems so impossible to get out of when you're studying in it. Well, the seventh generation thinking is uh, very important to you. Could you just describe that? Some people are familiar with this. A lot of natives are probably familiar with seventh generation thinking, but it's really about not just considering the impact on you or your generation or your direct generations or the people that came right before or after you, but it's considering how will my actions and what I'm doing impact people seven generations down from me? Or what did the actions of my ancestors, seven generations before me, what are the implications of that on my life? And the reality is seven generations ago, they were signing the exact treaties that we, we look to uphold in the work that I do today. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for taking time yeah, to chat with us. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations again. Thank you so much. I know I lived with my friend as roommates, and she was in residency, did her surgery residency. And I can't, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people do it. (laughs) All day long, no hours were off limits. That's very stressful. And we got to think about (laughs) the health of the med students too. Yeah. Their health matters as well. I mean, very excited for 
our passion in medicine and all the inspired natives we talk to. It's great. So thank you to Tammy Livermont, citizen of the Oglala Lakota Nation, future medical doctor who is making a difference in healthcare policy for native people. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Gigawabin. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.